MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 155 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. There's so much to go over today, it's all starting to blur together. But it, everything <laughs> we have, it, the Supreme Court agreed to hear the Colorado Supreme Court case barring Trump from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, along with an update up in New York of both the New York Attorney General's civil fraud trial and the E. Jean Carroll trial. Yeah, both set to start here pretty soon. We have a lot of activity also in D.A. Fonnie Willis's racketeering case because Monday, January 8th, was the deadline to file pretrial motions, which means we got all sorts of ridiculous stuff in the inbox there. Uh, plus, we have some new Farah charges against two GOP operatives that were lobbying for Cutter and a superseding indictment for Senator Menendez. But first, we have some new patrons to thank. And thank you to our patrons for letting the bonus episode be a day late this weekend. There were some personal emergencies that had to be tended to this weekend. So thank you for that allowance there. We appreciate that. Uh, on that episode, we covered the House Oversight Democrats report on Trump getting nearly $8 million from 20 different countries while he was president. That only covers mm. two of his four years in office. Mm. Yeah, that was a fun episode. So take a listen to that if you haven't already. Patrons, you get access to that weekly bonus episode at the $2 level. And all patrons get ad-free early versions of the main episode. Plus, you're all invited to join us for dinner and drinks, cocktails and mocktails in D.C. on April 20th. Those RSVPs for that event go out on my birthday, January 20th at noon. That's Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 days from now. You must be a patron to get the invite. We don't have plus ones for this. Uh, and it will be a first come, first serve basis. So thank you very much. We're going to do what we can to get as many of you in in D.C. I'm actually also going to see if we can somehow stream it or record it so that the rest of the patrons cool. can't make it, can watch it. Well, we're working on that. Um, but thank you because you help make this show happen. And you help make these uh, awesome annual get-togethers happen. Thank you to these new patrons, Roberta Reed, Sarah P., Gilded Lily, Suraj Balusu, Jesse Ware, David Vance, Kyle Gibbons, Kismet, Wendy Hunter, Analytic Girl. Thank you very much uh, for your patronage. We really appreciate it. If you're thinking about signing up, you can do so at patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E, 4-5-P-O-D. All right, Pete, where should we start? Well, I figure since closing arguments in the New York Attorney General Civil Fraud Trial are set for tomorrow, tomorrow, 
And the Eugene Carroll trial begins next Tuesday. Let's go up to New York. So this is from Adam Klasfeld at The Messenger, noting that Letitia James argued that Donald Trump, two of his adult sons and his business associates, should pay nearly 370 million U.S. dollars in ill-gotten gains that they earned by submitting fraudulent financial statements to banks and insurers. James wants a host of additional penalties to pile onto that pretrial ruling, and her legal brief represents the first time her office has laid out all of their requested penalties. Now, this is from the uh, the filing. Quote, lifetime injunctions, barring Trump, Weisselberg, and McConney from participating in the real estate industry in New York State or from serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation or other legal entity or necessary and appropriate, uh, wrote uh, New York Attorney General's assistant Kevin Wallace. Continuing, Trump, Weisselberg, and McConney worked together for years to inflate Trump's net worth while concealing the fraud from counterparties, unquote. The attorney general requested several other proposed injunctions, including ones barring, quote, the creation of further false financial entries and financial records, unquote, mandating the creation of what they called, quote, an appropriate set of internal controls, and finally banning them from, quote, applying for loans from any financial <laughs> institution. <laughs> wow. But but let's get let's get to those grown adult sons. Quote, for Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump, the current co-leaders of the company, a five-year bar on participating in the real estate industry in New York State or serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation or other legal entity is necessary and appropriate, unquote. The state's proposed findings of law and conclusions of fact state. Finally, quote, the evidence establishes that Eric Trump was aware of and participated in the fraudulent scheme at least as early as 2012. A full, what is that, 12 years ago now, right? So maybe not quite 12, but 11, certainly. Uh, it, it, it's just hard to, again, if you want to see what is going to enrage Trump, what gets him fired up, and you can see it just based on his comments at rallies or his comments on Truth Social, it is those things which hit him in the pocket. And this, you know, it isn't just the money. Uh, you know, this is laying out everything. It's it's the, 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 the you know, 200 or I guess uh, $370 million. But these five-year bars for Trump, for Don Jr., for Eric, for doing any sort of uh, real estate business or serving on boards or having to do with the real estate industry. So from somebody, you know, the son of Fred and the grandchildren of Fred, who tried, at least in Don's case, his entire life to make his way into the upper crust of New York City and Manhattan uh, high society. You know, what a stunning fall from grace. I mean, it's been a long time coming, but when you see it in these sort of stark terms, uh, you know, that's uh, 370 million reasons they aren't going to be welcome in most uh, social gatherings in New York City. Yeah. And not being able to ever borrow money again. Um, that's really interesting. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with Judge Angoron on that. And then, you know, this is $120 million north of her original estimate of what the disgorgement should be. Uh, and she provided all the documentation supporting that increase. But wow, this is this, you know, she was successful with the Trump Foundation when she did the same thing with that organization. 
and so, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. Still absent, Pete, though, are any federal or IRS investigations. I know. I know. And I hope, you know, I hope a lot. I, I don't know how much time was lost under the sort of malign influence of Bill Barr as attorney general, you know, putting stomping down on anything that SDNY or EDNY might try and do. And I also, you know, talking about these New York state charges, you know, everybody should keep in mind these undoubtedly are going to be appealed, both the the amount, whatever it is that's awarded, as well as any number of other things. So don't expect, you know, come, you know, two weeks from now in late January, early February, Donnie's yeah. going to have to write out a check to uh, the state of New York. This is going to wind its way through the court process, which Trump knows how to do very well. But the, the fact of the matter is, I, I don't think this is going to be dismissed. I think it is a, a strong case. We just may need to wait some time to see it. But, you know, to your point, I, I don't, I would hope there are ongoing investigations. I am still frustrated when I look at every time I see the, you know, the, the robust nature of the IRS's investigations into Hunter Biden and his alleged tax crime, which appears to be from the allegations, certainly as alleged, a crime, the utter lack of movement when it comes to Donald Trump, because apparently it's just too hard, Allison. It's just too hard. State of New York can fucking figure it out. Sorry, I'm swearing on the regular podcast and I apologize. (laughs) The state of New York can figure it out, but the federal government, the tip of the spear, the edge, the finest minds of the Federal Internal Revenue Service, presumably the people best equipped to unravel and complex tax fraud can't seem to even get an audit done. And I boggles my mind. And if they can't do it now, Trump gets reelected. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they don't get it done then either. No, no, definitely not. Uh, And, you know, speaking of that appeal, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the courts lift the bar on Trump and his sons and Weisselberg and McConney not being able to sell real estate, get loans, um, run a business, um, et cetera, while that uh, appeal is pending. It'll be interesting to see because I know there'll, there'll be a fight there as well on whether to stay whatever the judge determines. Now, you know, I'm not saying that the judge will determine or will issue those penalties, but if he does, it'll be interesting to see whether the courts allow those to be stayed as well, or if they allow Trump to continue operating while the appeal is pending. We'll see. All right, next up, a couple of updates in the E. Jean Carroll case, and these are great. Uh, This is set to begin Tuesday, January 16th. It was set to begin Monday, January 15th, but that is Martin Luther King holiday, so it was moved to the 16th. I believe the last bit of news that we talked about here on this show was that a three-judge panel for the Second Circuit Court of Appeals had denied Trump's motion to stay the trial pending his immunity appeal. The Second Circuit denied his immunity motion on the merits because he didn't make it at the outset of the case. He waited too long, thereby waiving it. Uh, and he, uh, you know, so they held he waived his immunity by doing that. Trump also filed a motion to have the Second Circuit rehear his immunity motion on Bonk, uh, which means by the entire panel. This week they denied that motion, so no stay, no on Bonk rehearing. He can ask the Supreme Court for a stay and petition for writ, but hasn't yet, and we'll keep you posted on that. But as of right now, as recording this episode on Monday, we record these episodes on Monday, uh, this trial is set to start on Tuesday, January 16th. But probably the biggest story in the Eugene case this week was a ruling from Judge Kaplan that reads, and I'm going to read you the word for word the ruling, and then I'll translate it. 
plaintiff's letter motion for an order precluding defendant from offering any evidence or making any argument related to the Carroll II jury's determination that the plaintiff failed to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that the defendant raped her within the technical meaning of New York penal law is granted. Defendant and his counsel shall not offer any evidence, conduct any examination, or make any argument relating to the Carroll II jury's determination that the plaintiff failed to prove that the defendant raped her within the meaning of New York penal law. So in layman's terms, E. Jean wrote a letter to the court and asked the court to bar Trump from arguing that he didn't rape her because the jury in the previous trial said, by the letter of the law, technically he did not. And the judge granted E. Jean's request. Now, in the upcoming trial, Trump can't mention that the jury in the previous trial ruled that Carol wasn't raped within the letter of the law. You'll remember Trump tried to sue E. Jean Carroll for defamation because after that trial, E. Jean went out publicly and said, I, I told you I was raped at Bergdorf Goodman. And Trump said, no, the jury said you didn't. Uh, I didn't rape you. Um, but the judge dismissed that case for defamation filed by Trump because the judge determined that he did rape her in the common vernacular, in the common use of the word raped. So he's not allowed to make that argument in the upcoming trial. Yeah, you know, and let's just step away a little bit from the New York court process. And I'm I'm taken by the fact that every one of these, it's almost become like a joke, the pre-Trump speech invocations by a minister or a holy man or a woman of God who get up there. And the, the crowd's generally asleep. And when they're talking about praying to the Lord and perhaps citing the Bible, but when they all of a sudden start talking about Donald Trump as the divine retribution, the crowd gets whipped into a frenzy about this this godly man who, who the, the clergy of the various Christian establishments are telling them is their guide. Now, let's think about it. A judge, a judge in New York, not a pollster, not a media personality, not some partisan, you know, talking head, a judge has found that Donald Trump, the presumptive Republican nominee for the president of the United States, committed rape in the common use of that word, is a rapist. In addition to an insurrectionist, is a rapist. But yet, that's not stopping all of these holy men and women of God from talking about this rapist as God's choice. And I just, I can't, I, I, I'm getting tired of trying to wrap my head around the absolute level of willful ignorance of truth. That is, it, it, it's not some kind of like, oh, well, you know, JFK was a womanizer. I, and, and, you know, what does that say or doesn't say about him? The man's a rapist, according to a judge. And yet, he, there he is out in front leading the pack of Republicans heading into the Iowa primaries, heading up to New Hampshire. And I just, I can't, and I'll get, I'll get back to the trial. But I, 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 that so outrages me that I, it's difficult to express. But, you know, in this case, I think for, for trial purposes, that's, that's good. And I'm sure Trump and his attorneys may try and do it. But I think, uh, you know, yet another reason why I think this trial is going to be very compelling in terms of the reputational harm that Eugene Carroll and her team are going to be able to show that Trump as president caused her. Yeah, agreed. And as we discussed uh, on last week's episode, this could the damages in this trial could be far, 
far greater than they were in the first trial. $5 million awarded in the first trial. Trump asked the judge, Judge Kaplan, to cap this trial's awards at $5 million. The, tr- the judge said no. Then when uh, Trump found out what Rudy had to pay in the Ruby Freeman Shea Moss case, <laughs> he tried desperately to remove one of their expert witnesses who is also going to testify in the E. Jean case, specifically about the reach of his comments. And as we know, in this particular E. Jean trial, he was president when he made those comments. And the reach of those comments is going to be much greater than the reach of his comments in the previous E. Jean trial, and maybe even of the reach of the comments in the Rudy Giuliani trial. President has the biggest megaphone in the world. So it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Again, I don't know local New York rules, if there's any caps on punitive damages or emotional distress damages or whatever other damages that are being uh, asked for here in the prayer for relief. But we will see how it ends up shaking out. And we will see that very soon. Closing arguments are tomorrow. And uh, then we will get uh, we'll get our we'll get our answer, at least our, you know, our first answer. And we'll see what happens on appeal. Yeah. You know, and at one point, it, it, at some point we're going to reach, you know, much like Rudy has, you know, probably about a month ago hit the point where there were so many creditors going after him that all of a sudden everybody started filing in their various jurisdictions saying, hey, we want the ability to go after this money or, hey, you know, we want to make sure we get our claim in for our $10,000 before everything's gone. I'm going to call it, you know what, when you think about a black hole, the, the terms like the event horizon, I think there's probably some movie or movies named after it where you get so close to the black Black hole that even light itself cannot escape the gravity. This is the Rudy horizon that Trump is approaching. He is not there yet, but at some point there are going to be so many people that he owes money to that he's going to hit the Rudy horizon and he is not going to be able to escape the millions upon millions of dollars that he owes to E. Jean Carroll or to the state of New York or to any of these other people. And it is suddenly all going to collapse upon him. So I'm just, I'm, 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 pleased with myself from coming up with that term of the Rudy horizon. But but the, the idea that, you know, as much as I'm angry about, again, this rapist who who is going to be the candidate for the Republican Party for president of the United States, the idea that he too, like Rudy, might one day die in jail, comparatively destitute, gives me some measure of solace, even if it takes another, you know, 10 years to get there, assuming he's still alive at that point. Because of you know between old age and diet and uh, exercise, uh, I'm I'm it's astounding. He's uh, anyway. Yeah, well, that's the thing that that gets my goat right is that the, these guys have been criming for a very long time and and they weren't caught until you know they were in their seventies. Um, all right, we have a lot more to get to, but we have to take a quick break. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, 
How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, welcome back. We have some more patrons to thank, and we look forward to seeing you in D.C. in April. It's going to be, in the words of Stefan, the hottest uh, dinner in town. <laughs> now, remember, the RSVPs go out in 10 days on January it has, 20th. It, it has everything. It has <laughs> Pete Strzok, and it has Andy McCabe, Glenn Kirshner, Olivia Troy, Danny Hodges, Harry Dunn. It has everything. The hottest club in D.C. So in 10 days, on January 20th at noon Pacific, 3 p.m., Eastern, look for those invites uh, because it will be first come, first serve. And uh, can't wait to see all of you there. So, without further ado, there's some more patrons we need to thank, uh, starting with Dr. Goggles, Mouthy Italian Girl, Prince of Wands, Clover's Tree 73, SPI Maker, Vicki Kineberg, Stephanie Young Merchant, Laura Michael, Carolyn Borzich, and Mike G. Thank all of you so much. You you truly make this go. We could not be putting this out uh, without you. And you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely critical members of the team. And so thank all of you so much. And with that, let's head down to Georgia. And we've got quite a few updates, uh, including breaking uh, as we tape <laughs> on uh, DA Fonnie Willis's sprawling RICO case against Trump and now 14 others. as four defendants have taken plea deals. January 8th, was the deadline for pre-trial motions, and we got a lot of them. Now, first, Rudy had asked for more time because he's Rudy and he's special to file his pre-trial motions. And Judge McAfee not only denied his motion, but denied it in spectacular fashion. This from the ruling, quote, The defendant moves for an indefinite extension of the January 8 motions deadline, citing his incomplete review of voluminous discovery. Defendant does not articulate exactly what discovery must still be reviewed or why the review has not been completed in the approximately four months that have passed since arraignment. While defendant claims to have filed quote-unquote many motions concerning discovery, none appear on the docket. <laughs> so he said, it, 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 he it, said I've asked time and uh, again, I, I, it, 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 but yes, there's none. I, none. Extensions are only considered upon filing of a particularized particularized motion, there we go, containing a detailed fact-based explanation of the need for the extension, including the amount of time needed. The motion is denied 
all deadlines remain in place, unquote. Whoosh. Now, as and, and literally as we're taping it, this via the astounding Anna Bauer, uh, relaying that Rudy Giuliani has just asked Judge McAfee to compel Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Chesbro, and Scott Hall to sit for interviews about the case with his legal team. Now, Rudy explains that they're necessary because their proffer videos, in the words of Rudy's filing, quote, raise questions about the content and completeness of their individual statements, unquote. I, I have, I'm going to, again, go out on a limb for the second time this podcast and predict that Judge McAfee similarly will deny this motion. I, I, I don't, again, Rudy is not... Rudy is not a bail bondsman in Georgia. Rudy is not some knucklehead who got roped in to be an alternate elector in Nevada. Rudy is not some county clerk up in Coffee County or up north in northern Michigan who got roped into some dumb, you know, plot to seize some voting machines. Rudy is an attorney, a f- former United States attorney, a former mayor of New York who is sl- slinging around just this utter crap of legal nonsense. And I'm frankly a little pleased to see the judge having none of it. Yeah. And um, it's going to be interesting because, you know, we're we're recording this January 8th on the deadline to file these motions. We're probably going to get a lot more. Um, we'll discuss uh, Trump's motions. He filed a flurry of motions today. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes Judge McAfee to just basically deny all of these motions. Um, but before we get to Trump's motions, Mark Meadows as it has asked the federal appeals court to reconsider, to rehear its decision, rejecting his bid to move his Georgia election interference criminal case out of federal court, out to federal court from state court. A three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit unanimously ruled last month, as we know, that Meadows, you can't move your case to federal court. First of all, the, the statute that says for removal doesn't cover former federal officials, although I think SCOTUS might overturn that. But even if it did, the shit that you did is not part of your job and it can't ever be part of your job. And you also kind of violated the Hatch Act. Um, so maybe don't talk about how it was part of your job because it was also uh, <laughs> against the law. Um, now Meadows is asking the appeals court to rehear the case on bonk, meaning the case would be heard by the full court of the 11th Circuit. Uh, should the court decline to rehear the case, Meadows could appeal the decision to the U.S. Supreme Court, as we know. Quote, the panel's decision is profoundly wrong. It defies text, precedent, and common sense and profoundly consequential. That's what attorneys for Meadows wrote in a filing Tuesday night. So I I don't think he's going to have any luck here. Uh, if he doesn't have any luck, certainly nobody else will. Um, you know, but there's it just can't just it's just not going to happen. So we'll see uh, how long this ends up taking um, this, I believe. Um, will probably be, or probably McAfee will probably want this to be decided before the trial begins, but that has not been set. The trial date has not been set. Um, we know Fonnie Willis has asked for August of, of, of this year, 2024, but we'll see what ends up happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, based on the, uh, the the unanimous Eleventh Circuit ruling again, and I think Judge Pryor was one of the people that you know took was was party to that ruling. The chief, yeah, it, yeah, it is going to be, a, you know that that's going to send a message, I think, to the Supreme Court's sort of decision whether or not to grant cert. And to the extent, I don't think there's any question. If it were simply a question of whether or not 
the uh, Meadows alleged activities were part of his job description. I can see the Supreme Court, you know, just denying cert plainly. There was that two prong test, though, and one is whether or not that statute applied to former officials. And that I, I think there might be some question about, well, you know, there are things that if somebody is a former official, but it includes conduct that was done when they were a government employee, there might be some question there that, that might, might interest wanna... the Supreme Court. Maybe, yeah. but you know, given given the the, the three judge unanimous circuit court decision and get, you know, again, if it was Trump, that that probably would have a very different position. But for Meadows, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, and the other thing is like the the Supreme Court's going to have a pretty full emergency docket pretty quickly here. Um, and we'll talk about in a little bit how, you know, additional states are moving to uh, exclude Trump from the ballot. So, you know, it'll be curious, but I would expect there will be hopefully something soon. Yeah. Plus, we have that whole D.C. immunity thing that um, will happen tomorrow as we record this, but happened yesterday as you're listening to this. So you probably know some stuff we don't know at this point. Yeah, you know, and as we're while we're at Georgia, um, you know, instead of things moving up to the Supreme Court, we're going to take a look at things moving down because on the deadline uh, of filing pretrial motions, Donald Trump is moving to have the election interference charges against him in Georgia thrown out, arguing that he's protected by presidential immunity. Now, Trump has already made that same argument in the federal election interference case against him, which has been paused until an appeals court hears arguments on Trump's claim on Tuesday, yesterday, uh, which Trump has said he's going to attend and is already fundraising off his mandatory attendance, which is baloney because there's absolutely no requirement for him to be at that. But his appearance is going to allow him to squeeze another couple of nickels against uh, from from mom and pop across uh, Magaland. Uh, now, this is from the filing. The indictment is barred by presidential immunity and should be dismissed with prejudice, the Fulton County Superior Court filing Monday said, arguing, quote, the power to indict a current or former president for official acts does not exist. Trump also filed two other motions to dismiss the case on Monday, one arguing the charges violate his rights to due process and the other contending it exposes him to double jeopardy. Now, again, this seems like a reheated, rehashed, you know, he took the filing uh, from D.C., from the federal court and, you know, erased the the district of the District of Columbia <laughs> and wrote in Fulton County. But yeah. I, I I just don't see these getting very far. No, but, you know, he he's excited about the double jeopardy argument because that could be uh, interlocutory, at least more interlocutory than uh, the immunity uh, claim. So we'll see what ends up happening. But I would imagine that if that this is going to, the immunity issue is going to be decided by the DC Circuit Court of Appeals and Supreme Court before it is in this case. And you wouldn't have to hear it twice, right? If the, if the Supreme Court either denies cert or accepts cert and says you're not immune and your actions weren't part of your job, then this any appeal in the Fulton County case by Trump would just be quickly shot down, right? Right. And and some of this too is going to, you know, you and I were chatting earlier before the podcast about, you know, what is what is the double jeopardy here? I mean, what what he's charged with in DC is for the events on January 6th in and around the Capitol. And, you know, potentially it 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 doesn't extend to phone calls to various Georgia officials. It doesn't extend to actions within Coffee County. It's not clear to me that you know it, it seems an extraordinary stretch to claim that this is somehow uh, 
exposes him to to double jeopardy. And, you know, I get it. Right. Well, because he says he was impeached for this, but he wasn't for the charges that are happening in Fulton County. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, I can't, again, imagine this carrying a lot of weight, whether or not it, you know, allows him fundraising opportunities. Yes, it does. Whether it allows him to drag things out longer. Yes, it does. At this point, it's all That's about it. slowing things down and yeah. making the money, getting the and grift. And book bookmark in for a future appeal uh, after a conviction. That's all it is. Um, and then and, and that's all it is anywhere, um, honestly. Um, but we'll see. Because, I mean, the arguments are ridiculous on their face. They're just ridiculous. So we'll see what uh, ends up happening here. I'm imagining most of these motions, if not all, will be denied and probably pretty quickly. Uh, and we'll see, um, you know, obviously people listening to this show on Wednesday will have had the benefit of all of my live tweeting of the arguments in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals on immunity. Uh, and we'll see, uh, you know, I, I have a feeling that by the time you're listening to that, it'll be like, it's not looking good for Trump in the D.C. immunity case. <laughs> That's just my prediction. Uh, but we'll see what ends up happening. All right, everybody, we have to take another quick break, but we'll be right back. Stick around. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have more patrons to thank this week. Thank you so much to Speech Crooks, Sleet Struck, Pete Strucks, Peach Trucks. Okay. Mm. Very good. Nap and Crash. Love it. 
Deadhead and his noble husky in the Sierras. Absolutely fan. That sounds that sounds nice. Can we go there? <laughs> Can we go there? John H. Neely, Firecracker, Beck W., Robert E. Olson, Steve Dilger or Dilger, Brad Hutton. Hi, Brad. I know you. Camille Knight. Thank you very much. Um, by the way, we have another new patron that's going to show up on next week's show, but I wanted to bring it up today. And that new patron is Pete Struck is a whole smoke show with a <laughs> smiley face emoji with hearts as eyes. So I just wanted to brighten <sighs> your day, Pete. <laughs> so thanks to our new patrons. All right. Let's talk about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. First up, the Supreme Court has agreed to consider whether former President Donald Trump could be deemed ineligible to run for federal office again because of his actions leading up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol, that good old insurrection, which you can't participate in and then also run for office. The justices will review the decision by the Colorado Supreme Court. Uh, and the Colorado Supreme Court, as we know, said Trump should be barred from the Republican primary ballot in the state. But the U.S. Supreme Court ruling is likely to have national repercussions, potentially setting guidelines that would determine how every state would handle this issue. Because as we know, the Supreme Court is really totally about not states' rights, except when it's really totally about states' rights. Now, SCOTUS has set a very fast schedule. Petitioner's brief is due on January 18th. The respondent's brief is due January 31st. A reply, if there is one, is due on February 5th. And they're going to hear arguments on February 8th. That's exceedingly fast. That's a month. The Nixon tapes took two months to hear from when they decided to grant cert. So one month, that's half the time the Nixon tapes took. Uh, Pete, I think SCOTUS should affirm the Colorado Supreme Court's decision, but I do not think they will. No, nah, me either. And I mean, what what's going to be interesting is that to the extent they take the case, how they view it in the context of just the Colorado fact pattern, or whether or not they're going to try and write something that is going to apply to every state. And remember, every state uh, determines who's on their state ballot in different ways. Some some have the same process, but it's up to the states individually. It is not something that's mandated by the federal government. So the Colorado decision is what is before the Supreme Court now, since they've granted cert. But I am curious, and I suspect if there is a way they can craft their decision that will apply to the other cases coming down the line. Because again, keep in mind, we've got Maine, who has uh, kept Trump off the ballot. We have other states uh, that are coming down the pike saying that you know Trump should not be included, lawsuits that are just being filed. So I would think that the Supreme Court is going to try and say, in whatever their decision is, to lay out some universal decision or, or, or how to interpret the 14th Amendment when it comes to questions like this beyond simply the state of Colorado. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to affirm Colorado's decision, but it will be curious to see how broadly they try and rule mm -hmm. to make it applicable to the other 49 states. Right, because there's two questions here um, in in Trump's appeal to SCOTUS. First of all, did he insurrect? Right, did he engage in an insurrection? And is he covered by Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment? He thinks both of those are wrong. Uh, and I, as far as the engaging in insurrection, I don't think the Supreme Court's going to touch that with a ten foot pole. I don't think they're going to try to even answer or determine or affirm or deny or overrule the factual finding 
of the Colorado Supreme Court that he engaged in insurrection or the Colorado District Court, for that matter. Both courts uh, unanimously decided he did engage in insurrection. I don't think they're going to want to touch that. I think they're going to talk about whether he is covered by the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Some of the arguments that we've heard are that uh, the 14th Amendment bars him from holding office, not running for office. But that just kicks the can down the road to whether or not he wins. If he doesn't win, they don't have to deal with it. <laughs> right. But if he does, they'll, they'll have to answer that question because then he will be holding the office. Uh, there uh, are arguments that his oath does not say to support the Constitution. It says to preserve, protect and defend. And that doesn't mean support somehow. A ruling on that would mean that an insurrectionist can't run for any office except the president, which is stupid. That it would be a stupid precedent to set. Um, but I don't put it past this court. They could also argue that the the POTUS is not an officer of the United States or that the presidency is not an office of the United States. But Trump argued that he was an officer in the Eugene Carroll case to try to get representation by the Department of Justice. And Bill Barr agreed that he was an officer under the Westfall Act. So that's going to be weird. And then you would also have to go forward saying that the office the, for any uh, reason you can't consider the presidency an office or the president an officer, which would be weird. Uh, arguments that, that the, another one is that the Congress must decide, but that's also extremely weak because it says Congress can only rectify wrong decisions under Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. That's in Section Five of the Fourteenth Amendment, but they could go that way. And there's so much precedent, so much that says the states administer their own elections. It would be weird, I think, for the Supreme Court to reverse itself on states' rights again. But like I said, they're not very consistent when it comes to that. So we'll see how they end. They literally have to twist themselves into knots to keep him on the ballot. And it could have repercussions, not just for this election, but for what the office of the presidency is and any future elections and any future people who want to be insurrectionists if they are free to run for president, but only president. We'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. Yeah, and I think the one place that they may try and go is to take a look at the entire amendment and say, look, it was passed in the context of the Civil War. It is clear from what they intended at the time they passed the amendment that this should apply to people who were members of the Confederacy who actually, you know, seceded. Except the language changed, right, Pete? Right, and it doesn't say that. But I'm, you know, if you're trying to like figure out what straw the the uh, right. court might try and grasp that might be one. But, you know, the other thing is like there is a huge, huge incentive for the court to have a unanimous or near unanimous decision. If they can come up with something that is 9081, that is going to be so much more because they understand their their image of being politicized is huge right now. A crisis of credibility of the Supreme Court, you know, even before we got into the, you know, Clarence Thomas fun time vacation uh, exploits, it, it was already under question. And when you look at what, you know, the decision on and Dobbs and elsewhere, this is going to take that crisis and make it hugely worse if it is a some sort of 5-4 decision. I think and, they think that the immunity decision, which is going to be no, will provide them some kind of cover on this one. Um, at least maybe Right. And you can... You. Yeah, and that's a good point. So they sequence it so they do both and they like, you know, do a one-two punch. They throw out this on the 14th Amendment, something that's, you know, uh, a 5-4-6-3 decision and everybody kind of grumbles and then immediately follow that, a, you know, same day or a day later with a 9-0, you are not immune. You know, our president is not a king decision where everybody says, okay, thank God that, you know, the, the sky is still up and Or blue. even just denying cert with no dissents, right? Like, 
would also send the same message. Uh, I, 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 I think they're going to – they just want to be able to say something to make a record is my guess. But, you know, we'll see where that yeah. comes. We will see. Yeah. So, you know, and like we're saying, it isn't – it is in their interest – to have some sort of universal resolution because Illinois is now, you know, joined the party. Five voters formally objected to former President Donald Trump's newly filed state nominating petitions on Thursday on grounds that he helped engineer the fatal mob attack on the U.S. Capitol in 2021, which now adds Illinois to the national debate. So, you know, this is not and Illinois is not the last one. It's going to keep going no, and keep like 20 going. states. Uh, yeah. You know, and this is a, a filing which is a Obtained exclusively by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times, the objectors want the state board of elections to disqualify Trump as a presidential candidate in Illinois' March 19th primary and on the November 5th general elections. Now, elsewhere, courts in Minnesota and Michigan have decided Trump cannot be excluded from the Republican primary ballot, but they left open the possibility that he could be challenged in the fall if he wins the GOP presidential nomination and the Oregon Supreme Court is still weighing the decision. So again, this is every everybody in the Supreme Court is well aware of the fact of all of these different states. They are not, in my opinion, going to come up with a ruling that is going to require them, whoever loses on these state decisions to ask for cert of the Supreme Court. They're not going to go through on a state by state by state basis, in my opinion, and, you know, issue rulings. So how they navigate this, we'll see. Yeah. And also remember, like a lot of folks, including myself, are like, well, maybe not for the primary, but maybe for the general. But the problem is, if you leave him on the primary ballot and he wins the primary election in that state, then what happens to the general ballot? What happens at the RNC? Like, then there's all sorts of weird, complicated questions. I'm not saying don't do it. I I, I, I obviously think he should be disqualified under the under the uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. If it's not for him, it's it's for nobody, to be honest. Um, so it doesn't make any sense to me. But it's there's going to be a lot of complicated stuff, and Trump is just going to fundraise off of all of it. That's, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. So we'll see what ends up happening. But, you know, I am, I, I am of the ilk that there is a 0% chance the Supreme Court will grant immunity ever, particularly within the context of this case. But I think that even while they should bar him from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, I, I think they'll find a way to not do it. We'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, but uh, it's going to be uh, February 8th are the arguments. And I imagine we will get a decision within February. The The Trump tapes took 16 days, or excuse me, the Trump tapes, the Nixon tapes uh, took them 16 days after oral arguments to render a decision, two months to get to the oral arguments, but only 16 days to render the decision. So I imagine the decision will come in February and we will know. We will then know uh, whether it's punted or whether there's additional stuff that has to be done or whether they affirm the court's decision. Uh, but I, I, again, don't think they'll do that. All right. We have to take another quick break, but uh, we'll be right back after this message. Stick around. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. 
and one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Hey, welcome back. Our final group of patrons we'd like to thank today include Ithaca is Gorgeous, Lauren Stapleton, Bubba's Mom and Dad, David W. Chandler, Cynthia Malloy, Karen R., Kirby and the Dirt Road Dogs, C.K. Stevens, Eugenia Floyd, and TLAT. Thank all of you so much. You're, you're amazing uh, patrons. Thank you for the support of this program. You allow us to get all of this produced. You pay for the folks behind the scenes who take all this and put it into a listenable format across the interweb. So thank all of you for being part of the team. Now, let's kind of like scope upward and look internationally for a little bit. This next story comes from Politico. Two longtime Republican political consultants who backed Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign admitted in court filings on Tuesday to deceiving the Justice Department about their lobbying activities on behalf of the small but wealthy Arab nation of Qatar. Barry Bennett and Doug Watts acknowledged they accepted funds from the Qatari government in exchange for promoting efforts to influence U.S. policy in the Middle East and engaged in a scheme to mislead investigators about those dealings. Prosecutors indicated that Bennett and Watts have entered into what's called a deferred prosecution agreement that will allow the charges to be dismissed after a year if the men comply with the terms of the deals. The two men face charges for scheming to conceal work for a foreign government and making false statements about their work. Now, as part of the agreement, Bennett will pay a $100,000 fine and Watts will pay $25,000. Both also agreed to abstain for a year from engaging in any lobbying or public relations work covered by the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Now, the link to Trump, Bennett and Watts joined pro-Trump efforts after they departed the imploding campaign of then-GOP presidential candidate Ben Carson in 2016. I just, so much, so many 
it, all of this unrelated crime, just every <laughs> everywhere you look. I mean, this is not, you know, it's not the, the, the Watergate burglars. It is not the Iran-Contra group, you know, core group or whatever that was, you know, seven, eight people. It's so many people. They're like, I'm sure, you know, I'm reading this. I'm sure a lot of listeners are saying, who the hell are Barry Bennett and Doug Watts? I've never heard of them before. Yes, that's that's part of the point. So many <laughs> folks that, you know, most of us have never heard, never heard of. Surprisingly enough, related to Donald Trump and his either campaign or administration, now we see these folks uh, wrapped up in unlawful lobbying activities on behalf of a foreign power. Yeah, and I think um, Brandon Von Grack, who has the second coolest name in the Mueller investigation next to Pete Strzok, uh, he said he believes this is the first time a diversion agreement has been used under the Foreign Agents Federal or Foreign Agents Registration Act. The, the DOJ in the recent years, Pete, has not been real successful with FARA violation uh, prosecutions. Um, and so it's interesting that they were able to get this diversion agreement um, uh, set up and signed. Uh, they were charged on information, which indicates that they're pleading. There is no indication that they're cooperating on any bigger fish, um, which kind of goes into our next story because a very big fish has also recently been indicted for lobbying for Cutter without registering as a foreign agent. And uh, this one comes from ABC. Bennett and Watts aren't the only ones in hot water for lobbying for Cutter. Senator Robert Menendez, our good friend from New Jersey, faces additional allegations of wrongdoing contained in a superseding indictment returned last Tuesday in New York. The superseding indictment accuses Menendez, who has pled not guilty to all the other counts, of making positive comments about Cutter in exchange for items of value, including luxury wristwatches. <laughs> According to the new indictment, the luxury wristwatches Menendez was allegedly offered were valued between ten dollars and $24,000. How about one of these? The indictment hmm. quoted co-defendant Fred Davies, saying in a message he sent to Menendez along with photos of the watches. How about one of these? Hmm. Menendez and Davies had attended an event in Manhattan hosted by the Cuttery government. According to prosecutors, and two days later... On September 29th, 2021, Davies sent Menendez a message about a Senate resolution supportive of Qatar and the Qatari Investment Company as the Qatari Investment Company considered a real estate investment with Davies. That's fascinating. That, to me, is a little more important than a $10,000 or $24,000 watch is the uh, the, the, the Qatar Investment Company um, yeah, doing real and, estate and, and deals. And remember, Menendez is on the, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He isn't on like, you know, the, the agriculture, the infrastructure, you know, committees. He's, he is on the committee that sort of, you know, oversees and approves funding and all kinds of other things when it comes to U.S. foreign relations, hence the name of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. It just, dude is going to jail, in my opinion. I mean, they, 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 oh, yeah. come on. How about oh, one yeah. of these? Gold <laughs> bars with serial numbers from Davies, and Davies had those gold bars stolen 10 years ago with those exact serial numbers? Come on. Mm. Now, I mean, how how often do you get a gold bar paper trail with serial numbers? Like... <laughs> Right. And Google searches, right? How much is a bar a gold of gold bar. worth or however much, you know, what with a hundred grams or whatever the, the weight of those things were, but I, I come on, 10 grams, a gram, I don't know, whatever it was. I don't, I, uh, I, I don't have any gold bars, Allison. I don't know what a no. gold bar, it, well, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you the size of or weight of a gold bar. Gold is heavy. That's all mm. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I too would have to take to Google to say how much is this bar of gold worth because I have no clue, which apparently either 
Senator or Nadine, his wife, uh, took to figure out um, what it was worth. What it was worth. Speaking of uh, his wife, by March of 2022, the Cutteries were offering Menendez's wife, Nadine Menendez, tickets to the Formula One Grand Prix in Florida. Sure they were. And by 2023, (laughs) the Cuttery Investment Company completed a joint venture with Davies. Here's the thing. I love how this article starts with $10,000 watches, tickets to Formula One Grand Prix, and then they kind of drop in here in paragraph eight uh, that the Cuttery Investment Company completed a joint venture with Davies worth tens of millions of dollars. And then then they just kind of go on with the story after that. Tens of millions of dollars. (laughs) Yeah, and, and you might say well, that's that's a cute trick until you realize they can also drop in there if they wanted to. That that pales in comparison to the two billion with a B, two billion Ooh, who, with a B. Who got that? That the president's adult son-in-law Jared got not from the Qataris but from the Saudi sovereign wealth fund, mm-hmm. even though. Internal advisors allegedly to the Saudi uh, wealth fund said, this is a horrible idea. This does not make any business sense. It is too filled with risk. Do not do it. Nevertheless. No, no, but no, don't forget, Jared, the Saudis had a blockade, the Qatari blockade, right? And then Jared sort of had that blockade go away and right. then gets $2 billion. So it's not like it's not totally unconnected. Um, let's see. Menendez, who's been charged with conspiring to act as an agent of Egypt and other alleged offenses, is scheduled to stand trial in May. He had sought a two-month delay to account for what his lawyers described as voluminous evidence that required more time to examine. So that's where we are with that story. Um, Egypt, Qatar, I mean, it's there's a whole pharaoh unit now at the Department of Justice, but um, it's interesting they got these diversion agreements. Yeah. And I, you know, whether or not they're cooperating or whether or not the both sides recognize the potential risk to litigating it, I don't know. But I, I'm reminded of, it's like, you know, when you're in an apartment and what did they always say, you know, if you see a cockroach, that inevitably means there's like 20 that you don't see that are, you know, under mm-hmm. the fridge or behind the wall or whatever. Hey, th- th- this isn't like the first time in Washington that a senator is is taking money. And if there is this amount of money rolling around with Senator Menendez, now granted, given his position, he's going to be high on the priority of things to do. But it goes to what we talked about in the bonus episode, the, you know, starting with these six million over six million dollars that Donald Trump took from the Chinese government and their agents, according to uh, House Democrats and Mazar's bank records, there's money everywhere. And the kind of, you know, we're seeing this because Menendez was particularly allegedly super sloppy and super greedy and doing things in a very sort of visible way that, you know, as I've said before, and I'll say again, we, you know, the ex-we, my FBI colleagues in DOJ, we get the dumb ones, right? We get the people who screw up, who are very flashy about their wrongdoing, people who are a little less greedy, people who are maybe a little more thoughtful and smart about hiding the the benefits that they're getting. It's really tough. And it's going on all the time. And mm-hmm. you know, welcome to politics. I mean, I should say there's no um, evidence that the, that the, the Menendez cuttery superseding indictment is related to the Bennett and Watts uh, Qatari indictment. Right. um, right. Or that they even came out of the same investigation. Uh, And it's also of note that that Menendez hasn't had any charges added 
right? It's just expanded the current charges. Uh, he still faces the same uh, jail. Time. Yeah, I mean, so it was a superseding indictment. So there were there were additional. It was it was more than just the watch. I think that came with an additional charge or a modification to the charges. So, you know, what's interesting is why did did they not? Why you would not include that at the beginning, and some of that may be that you know through searches through the search warrant that you executed, um, sort of. I, I, it is interesting to me that this is coming along now. It doesn't strike mm-hmm. me as the kind of thing that you're like, hey, look, we can charge you with this. If you don't want to plea, then we're going to go start adding uh, to a superseding indictment. There, no, it strikes it, me like they just found this out. Right. Mm-hmm. New information. Yeah. Maybe it's from information from Davies. Who knows? Because again, he's he's charged as well, remember? So if I'm the government, you know, I yeah, I'm interested in prosecuting Davies, but if Davies decides to cut a deal and like, you know, get some sentence reduction for some more dirt. And again, because he's a common player in this, right? He was involved with the Qataris. He was involved with the Egyptians. And he might be, you know, again, my investi- speculation based on investigative experience. Wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of talk going on between Davies and the government. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. All right. Before uh, we get out of here, um, Pete, I have some uh, late breaking news for you. Just came across my desk here. I think you might be interested uh, because I think you might have some experience with this person. This is an you exclusive. Need to start, you need to do the, the David Letterman, <laughs> the paper snapping, fresh news off the ticker. Do, 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 yeah. do, 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 do. Ships at sea. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's the headline for Mediate. Exclusive. Roger Stone spoke with a cop friend about assassinating Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler uh, (laughs) weeks before the 2020 presidential election. Roger Stone sat across from his associate Sal Greco at a restaurant in Florida. And at the time, Greco was an (laughs) NYPD cop working security for Stone on the side. Their conversation at Cafe Europa in Fort Lauderdale focused on two House Democrats for whom Stone harbors particular animosity, Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell. In an audio recording of the conversation obtained by Mediate, huh. this is on tape, Stone made threatening comments about the two lawmakers, quote, it's time to do it. Let's go find Swalwell. It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. It's time to do it. It's either Nadler or Swalwell that has to die before the election. They need to get to the message. Let's go find Swalwell and get this over with. I'm not putting up with this shit anymore, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> a source familiar with the discussion told Mediate they believe Stone's remarks were serious. It was definitely concerning that he was constantly planning violence with the NYPD officer and other militia groups, the source said. So they have this on tape. They said that Swalwell or Nadler need to die before the election. Sounds oh. serious. What are your thoughts on this? And who's Sal Greco? I, you know, Sal Greco, what's interesting is I think there's a movie. I saw a preview um, called the a, a, Storm Foretold, yep. I think is the name of it, where some uh, European Scandinavian filmmakers, Danish, I think, followed around Oliver's or Roger Stone, rather, and all in the run up to the election. And what was astounding up through January 6th and sitting there in the Willard watching him, and he got all huffy because he wasn't given the VIP treatment to go to the mall. But in one of those, and I think it's Sal Greco, who moonlighted as sort of a security guy for Stone, I think it is him appears very clearly armed in Washington, D.C., where he is not performing the duties of a New York Police Department uh, officer. And D.C. has some pretty strict gun laws. And I'm really curious to see what the statute of limitations are, because at a minimum, you know, setting aside 
these new allegations, whether or not he was lawfully carrying a weapon in D.C. or not is, in my mind, not a question. But if you're, look, if you're, one, the fact that it's on tape means it's going to be either Roger Stone that taped it or Sal or maybe a, uh, you know, if the filmmaker was there. But that fact, that recording has now made its way into the public domain. So if investigators weren't aware of it, they sure are aware of it now. If Nadler and Swanwell were not aware of it, they sure are now. If I'm anybody, let alone a congressman, uh, and I've got a, you know, dirty trickster and NYPD officer talking about now is the time to go, you know, off me, I'm I'm gonna, you know, be on the phone right now to the FBI saying, come on now, you know, and the Capitol Police. Um, you know, have you seen this? If not, why not? And what are you doing about it? And why is it taking until January 8th of 20 fucking 24? And I've sweared for the second time today and patrons, the, the bonuses, you get to hear me swear a lot more on the, on the bonus episodes, but I can't help myself here. One of those things, but I, again, when it comes to Roger Stone, I, he has done so much. It's surprising to me that he Got has not yet faced any charges and I do worry, Allison, we've talked about it before, and I know this is, you know, for I'm sure you and Andy on, on the Jack podcast talk about it. I do worry about the delta between the primary targets of Jack Smith, which are clearly Trump and those immediately Trump adjacent. And D.C. and everybody has been doing a great job working from the bottom up of all the protesters and the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and, you know, Stuart Rhodes and Tario and everybody guys, else. Though. It's, it's those middle where guys, though. Where are those middle guys? And are mm-hmm. those middle guys like Mike Flynn and Roger Stone? Alex Jones. You know, Alex Jones. Is there enough if there were a vigorous investigation to build a criminal case? And this, which I haven't heard, and I'm going to go try and find, see if I can get a verbatim of it, sure seems criminally uh, it, it's a term of art. It's not, but it 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 feels <laughs> it feels more than wrong. It feels illegal, but it you know, feels we'll illegal. See. I mean, there was just somebody arrested for threatening to kill uh, Eric Swalwell. Um, but if it's just two people privately talking, is that a threat? I, you know, I I have I don't know the law uh, well enough. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that was just coming across. And and you're right because I have this whole thermometer right. Of, of of justice and at the bottom were the boots on the grand january 6th and then were the oath keepers and proud boys above that and then the lieutenants and then trump and his white house cronies and trump and everything's filled in except that middle lieutenant's bar mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. the stones and flins of of this saga and how they are just walking around um threatening people and and it's 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 beyond me but We'll uh, we'll end up we'll see what happens um, and, because yeah, if, you know to, any of these mop up cases come after the Trump trial is over uh, if they don't include Stone and Jones and Flynn then I hope and assume that in his final report uh, uh, where he has to outline his declinations for prosecution that we'll find out why they weren't indicted by Jack Smith. Yeah, and I should just to just to clarify a little bit. I'm looking at a uh, Fox News report that notes that uh, Sal Greco is a former NYPD officer. He was uh, released, uh, it looks like, and has filed a lawsuit in August of 22, alleging that uh, he was fired because of political reasons. And so, you know, part of what in going through the NYPD Internal Affairs Review, there was some concern apparently with his behavior around the inauguration in 2021. So, you know, we'll see where that all ends up. But this is interesting development. 
and somebody's talking about it to the press, which is also interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, who got that tape? Maybe it's the documentarian. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. And right. look, I mean, if I'm if I'm Jerry Nadler or Eric Smallwell, unless law enforcement has asked me, please don't talk about this because we have an active investigation. Unless that's been said, I think they would have a strong incentive to kind of say, hey, <laughs> you know, what what's going on here? What, that, this, this Roger Stone guy, does anybody in law enforcement remember him? What what is there anything anything going on? But mm. we'll see. Well, everybody, that's our show. <laughs> it's been another full hour. Remember when these shows were like 30 minutes long. And I tell you what, boy, the news in 2024 is on steroids and it's only been a week. It's only a weekend. It's only going to get bigger by the time we speak next week. We will, I believe, have closing arguments in the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial. We might have some decisions on some of these motions down in Fulton County. We will not yet have begun the E. Jean trial because we record on Mondays and that starts on Tuesday. But Pete, are you going to actually go down to the immunity arguments January 9th for D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals that Trump is going to be at, or is that just too much of a circus? I I think that's going to be too much of a show. I can't envision uh, the line to get into that and all of the – yeah, I I hope. I don't know what the process is for Trump. might be a carnival-type atmosphere. I'm certain it will be a carnival-type atmosphere and – right. Right. And popcorn and little street vendors just outside. Face with, painting, you know, but it's just orange. Exactly. <laughs> Festival. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> that's right. Hello, Caricatures, you, but yes, it's you're, just orange. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're Trump, aren't you? Yes. That's, that's how I, that's my face paint. So what did you do in school? Yeah. All right. That's going to be fun. All right. And we will talk about uh, all of it on the next cleanup on aisle 45. And we will uh, see our patrons this coming weekend uh, on the bonus episode. And again, January 20th, noon Pacific, three Eastern is when the the RSVPs go out for our April 20th DC meetup. We're dinners on us for you, for patrons to to become one, patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. That's all I have. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. 
they were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.